The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today, I have a very special friend with me, Melanie Dewberry-Jones. Melanie is a beautiful being. She is an incredibly successful woman. She encourages and coaches people to be their best in the world, and she has lived that herself. So Melanie is not somebody who went away and learned how to do something and then came back and told everybody, this is how you do it. Melanie is someone who has been a seeker her entire life, and she definitely has all the credentials to back up her work today, but her learning comes from a very deep place in the world of living. So, Melanie, welcome to Leading Conversations. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you so much. Lovely introduction. It's so great to have you here. It's so wonderful to hear your voice. So I want to I want to talk a bit about you know kind of your work in the world. Now you are known as a soul coach. You have been connected to the world of coaching for many years. You co-created a magazine called Choice Magazine. It's an online publication for professional coaches. Actually, um, in print. It's it's a printed you, magazine. Always in print. Always oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's always been in print. Oh, okay. And you, you are the kind of person who is always, always, within the context of your work in the world, always reinventing you and always reinventing the way you come forward in the world, which I am so – I love that about you. And because Thank it you. feels – it always feels like – you know, it's a little surprise, kind of like, oh, how fun, how fun, and it always rings true that this is who you are. So it's not as if it's just an experience of, you know, you're trying to figure out who you are, and so let's try this one on for a while. It's not that. It's really about honoring the evolution of your being, and you project that so well, and that's really what... I believe, is the essence of your work with others. So let's start by you tell a story about being a child and that it really affected kind of who you are today in the world and, you know, why you even care about this whole concept of who you are. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you as a kid? So, you know, I am probably unlike many children who just thought they were adorable, <laughs> as, as <laughs> children should, you know. 
And um, I grew up originally, um, I'm from Southern California, but my father was in the military, so we lived in Washington, D.C., and, and then my father retired, and he moved us to San Francisco, which I was super excited about. And I was so excited, I went out into my neighborhood to meet my new friends. Um, I had such glorious playmates in D.C. I just knew that it was going to be exactly the same. And um, unbeknownst to me, my father had moved ahead of um, his wife and uh, my mother and and, uh, my siblings a couple of months. And unbeknownst to me, while my father had been setting up camp for us in this neighborhood, he had been getting death threats. So by the time we got there, two months later the FBI was already tapping our phone lines to see who it was. So my father had been involved in the government um, as a military man. He'd been working in the Pentagon. So the FBI were tapping the, the phone lines to find out who was calling in the death threats. And I went out to find my playmates very eager, and it was very clear to me that I was told that, you know, no, none of the children were going to be allowed to play with me. And on my way to school the first day, and I went to a bilingual Japanese-English school, which I just loved, um, one of the neighbor boys tried to hose me down and called me the N-word and gave me you know, the birdie with the hand, none of which I had any concept of what of that was. I was very clear that he didn't like me, but I didn't know why. Mm. So when I got home from school, I asked my mom. I showed my mom the finger gesture as best as I could replicate it. And I told her the N-word. And I I said, Mom, what do those things mean? And I cannot imagine, Cheryl, what that must be like for a parent to tell their child, to break Mm -hmm. their innocence in that moment, to tell their child, you are not loved by everybody. You are not wanted by everybody. You might actually be hated by many. And, And then this is going to be your new reality in some sense. So I, I was just so befuddled by that because, you know, why wouldn't you adore me? I'm this glorious, beautiful child. <laughs> <laughs> what are you, crazy? Well. <laughs> it, just, it just wasn't in my mindset because I just didn't, you know, I grew up in D.C. where, you know, we had these alleys that connected the houses and we had kids of all colors. We were, we were using the word diverse in the in the um, late 60s before it hit California in the 80s. It just, you know, it was just how we lived. It wasn't something we had to study and learn. Um, And Mm. so we had all kind of races, black, white, African, Asian, running in and out of each other's houses. And so it just, I didn't understand. I still didn't understand. But I I did understand that I was not liked. I was not wanted. And that I wasn't going to be played with. Well, and how how hurtful that is. And so did the effect... Did you begin to kind of protect yourself a bit from interacting with others? I mean, how did that affect you? Well, it was a bit of a delayed response in the protection. That didn't really hit me until I got to be about 20 in the work world. Mm. Two things happened simultaneously in that year. Three things, actually. One family of Portuguese Macau, Asian descent, Chinese Macau, um, decided to, would not sign the petition to have us moved out of the neighborhood. All the neighbors signed a petition. And um, so that family and my family moved out together, and we became family. Mm -hmm. Um, And I made the decision at nine years old. You know, nine years old aren't thinking, I'm not thinking clearly. This is, you know, not logical. But I made a decision that I was going to learn how 
to speak everybody's language, even English speakers, but I was going to understand their culture because I knew if I could understand them and I could communicate with them, that mm-hmm. it, was just, it was just a mishap of communication. So I studied lots of language, everything from Hebrew and sign language to Japanese to French to Spanish, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So we moved out of the neighborhood. And I, honestly, to answer your question, um, it wasn't until I got into the work world and, and, and really had another reoccurrence of that in a very, uh, again, you know, bizarre way where I had a, an employer come up to me and say, you know, Martha Luther King, I hate giving that day off because he only helped your people. And, or he would come up behind me and put his fist in the air and say, Bota, Bota, of uh, the former president of uh, South Africa, the one who enforced apart, uh, apartheid. And... Mm. Uh, and then the protection and the anger. You know, I felt like, okay, I'm a really good student. I'm a student of languages, and I'm a good student of hate. You want to hate me? I can, I can do that. Um, and so that's how that really initially happened, is I just learned how to, you know, do anger at a masterful level. Mm. Um, in my, form, in my young, yeah, formative years, in my um, young adult years. Um, right. And it was crushing, actually, to... Um, you know, to just uh, to be in a position, especially at work, where um, someone gets to say that to you, and there's no defending yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. But um, you know, the thing with hate is that it'll kill you inside. And um, I I was both still speaking many languages, traveling around the world, meeting people and finding love that was available and completely confused why it wasn't available in my own country to the extent that I thought it should be. Um, so, you know, I, I, I am curious, but going back to your childhood, so was the neighborhood that you guys moved into, was that primarily a one specific race? neighborhood, or was it, I mean, who lived there before you moved in? So it was primarily Caucasian. There was one, there were two Asian families, one that didn't sign the petition with us and another family that did sign the petition, but primarily um, Caucasian. You have to remember, this is after Woodstock, you know, the love fest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the early 70s, this is 1971, and um, this is Northern California, this is San Francisco. Uh, this is in Alabama, this is Mississippi, right. this is San Francisco, um, Forest Hill area. And, um, yeah, it was, I'm sure it was a shock to my father. My father, I, you know, my father died of cancer nine months after that. Um, oh. And I, I always wonder if it broke his heart to have his children hated. And that mm. is why, even though he died of cancer, I always wondered if, if hate became his cancer and killed him. Yeah. Not for himself, yeah. because he'd grown up in the South, or, you know, in, uh, in Kentucky and Kansas City. He'd grown up knowing hate, but to mm-hmm. have to put his children in it, mm-hmm. and you think they're safe from it in Northern California, I, mm-hmm. I always wondered if that killed him in some way. Mm-hmm. So fast forward into your career, and you begin to experience, um, again, the the depth of... Um, you know, what happens to an individual when people want to push you aside, when people want to call out how different people are from one another versus 
you know, we're here to do something together to make something great happen, right? Yeah. Did that did that continue a lot in your world? It, you know, it off and on it did. You know, um, there were not throughout, but you know, my last job, um, it was very present, and um, I actually uh, a, a consultant was hired, a coach actually was hired to work me through it. This was 25 years ago when coaching was not even named back then. Right, um, right. And I decided I was never going to work for anybody before. You know, it, I'm just going to go back for one second. In my youth, in seventh grade, my my algebra teacher gave me a D minus or D plus, actually, I think it was. <laughs> Who gives a D plus? <laughs> but he told us, I'm like, gee, I almost, I'm not as big a loser as I thought. But, uh, you know, I'm walking out the class getting my my grade for the year, and he says, you really should consider um, cleaning homes for a living as you grow older. And um, I remember thinking to myself, I will never learn how to do the dishes, I will never learn how to cook, and I will never learn how to type, because back then we had to take typewriting classes. And I know I'm dating myself, right? And and I thought, I'll never learn how to do that. And it was the most frustrating thing for my mother um, I and you know how naive I was, even though I already had previous experiences of hate. I didn't understand that he was being racist. I just knew in that moment I was never going to clean someone's home for a living. I'm not that that's a a diminishable you know job occupation. It's just that you don't get to decide, Mr. Algebra teacher, who I will become, yeah. and that you had seen me as this. Well, 20 years later, fast forward, I'm sitting in a coffee shop, not to derail too much of the conversation, but I'm sitting with a former kid in high school, and we're having coffee, you know, 20 years later, and he's looking at the obituaries, and I said, my goodness, John, you are like 20-something years old. Why are you reading the obituaries? And he said, I'm looking for Mr. So-and-so's name. And I said, our algebra teacher? And he said, yes. And I said, why? He said, because he told all the Latino men they should become me- uh, mechanics or um, landscapers. And so he had done this to all the kids of color, unbeknownst mm-hmm. to, to me, unbeknownst to my friend John at the time. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I wasn't like, you know, you know here's the thing, Cheryl. I didn't grow up in the South. It's not the same. Right, I'm not, right, you know, I wasn't right. really clear about that. But I, I still made this dedication when I was nine-year-olds that if I could just, if I could just speak into someone's language, into someone's culture, that this misunderstanding about hate could be cured. Mm-hmm. And I stuck, I'd still stick to that. You know, I still stick to this, you know, like, it's just a matter of connection. Now, yes. I'm not talking about wiping out, you know, fascist and racist groups like the Ku Klux Klan or other groups. I'm just saying that um, there's something to be said about speaking the language of other people. I don't necessarily mm. speak the language I used to, but I'm talking about speaking the soul's language. Yes. Speaking that, that place that we're all, you know, coming from the same cloth. Well, and so, you know, that really speaks to the work you're doing today, which is helping people to really define, really articulate what they came to this planet to do, right? The work that matters to them, the work that is their gift to the world. And I think what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, if we can speak from that place in ourselves, we have more likelihood of success of connecting with another. Right. If When you know, when you live what you're here to do in the world, you don't have space. You don't have time and energy for anger and hate and dismissal. 
as you know, you're so in this kind of bubble of effervescence that that is mm-hmm. what you spread, and you get you begin to see the truth, the truth of mm-hmm. life, the truth of humanity, the truth of the shared experience, rather than what you were told is a truth, whatever mm-hmm. that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is why one of my one of the services I provide is is the the soul naming work because. I really wanted um, to help people. I wanted to name people so that they would know who they are. I, um, years ago, I don't know if I already told you this, Cheryl, or not, but I, I guess your listeners don't know. Years ago, um, I was standing on um, one of the Diné reservations in Four Corners, Arizona, and I'm watching a, um, I'm watching a naming ceremony. And in our culture, um, in the Native American culture, people get named sometimes a couple of different times in their lifetime. But as I'm watching the naming ceremony, it becomes very clear to me that this person being named, now that they know this name, and nobody else may ever know this name once this person leaves the ceremony. They may not say it. They may say it. They may share it. It's up to them. But they unequivocally know who they are, and they will never negotiate their, self, their sense of self they will never again negotiate or compromise their value in the world. They will mm-hmm. always be who they are when they leave this res and go out into the rest of the world. And I wanted that for women in business specifically because we have a way of compromising and negotiating ourselves, our value, our services, our time. Mm-hmm. So tell me what you mean by negotiating ourselves. You never negotiate yourself away. What do you mean by that? Well, we have a, a way of um, uh, minimizing ourselves, um, uh, comparing ourselves, um, n- not being confident isn't the right exact word, but it's in that vernacular of confidence and esteem. Mm-hmm. There's this thing, when you have this knowing, it's like a maypole that you can wrap yourself around, and, and it, keeps you, it keeps you in a stabilized, sustainable fashion where when someone says something about you or wants you to negotiate your products or fees, as it relates, because I work with businesswomen, uh, products or fees, um, there's a sense of like, you know, no, I, I am this in the world. This is, this is what I'm here to do. This is not get – you cannot negotiate the value of who I am or what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And, and I, in the business world particularly, there's a saying, I'm sure you've heard it, everything's up for negotiation. But you're yeah. not negotiating the dollars. I mean, that's right. something different. What you're negotiating is the value. And yeah. it's the value of the human being as well as their product or services. And that's non-negotiable. Who you mm. are is non-negotiable. Not that, I'm not I talking about that literal dollar amount, although that happens in, in, for women specifically. Uh, you know, sure. I feel like I'm not really confident, so I'll just kind of convince you of this, and then I'll whittle it down so you, I practically give it to you rather than yes. actually yes. make this a part yes. of who I am. I see that happening on occasion, and I am still surprised when it occurs because I think that part of me wants to believe so deeply that we've come so far, you know, and that that but that must be over by now, and, and yet it's not. So well, we want to talk more about this with Melanie Dewberry-Jones when we come right back.
whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito with my very special guest today, the soul coach, Melanie Dewberry Jones. Melanie, let's talk about soul coaching. Let's talk about... You know, how you even um, got to the place where you knew that the essence of someone is really in the soul. Talk about that. Oh, wow, that's so profound, Cheryl. What can I go? <laughs> Let's see what I can do. <laughs> well, you, you know, so I, I walk the traditional Native American path, and so for me... You know, if we're not guided by our soul, I, I don't understand. I literally do not understand. And I, I, we live in a world where intelligence trumps wisdom, and especially in Northern California where we've got Silicon Valley. And I love intelligence, you know, and I love intelligent conversation. But, uh, you know, for me, um, if, we don't, if we don't teach young people, if we ourselves don't cultivate wisdom, we have no real guidance. And so my work, um, or I should say how I got to that work, is really from this traditional path. And, you know, um, people do a lot of um, struggling on who they are, what they're here to do, trying to fit in, trying to find the right career, trying to get the right job. And that whole, you know, trying to mentally segue themselves through life. And the mind is a beautiful thing, you know, um, and I think it should be relegated to wonderful things like choosing vanilla over chocolate, um, Dartmouth over Yale, um, you know, uh, the pleated skirt over the, the linen flare skirt, not choosing what you're here to do in the world, not mm. choosing, you know, how to show up in the world or, or how you're, and I think the mind has us, um, the mind is really here to act on what the soul says to do and be. And I think the way we're taught from day one, the minute we hit the, the educational institution, and don't get me wrong, I love school, I hated leaving, but what we're taught is that the mind should lead. And actually, the mind's the executor of the will of the soul. And so we've got it flipped back, and we do things like retard our intuition, not listening to our truth. 
And then we wonder why we're confused when we're 40 and we can check on the boxes and we've got our 401ks and our kids are going off to college, but we're not completely satisfied. Or we struggled in relationships and we've been divorced twice or our kids, no matter how we think we're parenting, aren't turning out the way they thought they should or our relationships with our families are falling apart. And it's because we're using the wrong navigational system. Hmm. You need a GPS for this. Yes, we have our our, our um, grace positioning system. It's just you know it's loaded in our soul, <laughs> and that's the system it. we should be using. But it's not the system that gets glorified in the institutional world. What gets glorified is you know multitasking, quick on your feet, being yeah. smart, having the answer, and um, the soul, the spirit, whatever you want to call it, is so much more spacious than that. You know, we might take a week to make a discussion, you know, make a decision or, or even have a discussion. It's, um, our, our time is not a linear focus. It is spacious. Mm-hmm. Wait and listen for the answer rather than try to drum it up or dictate an answer. It's a different approach, and it doesn't happen at warp speed the way the institutions reward us for it. Um, and so, therefore, it's not present. But we know that it, it's relevant you know, Daniel Goleman's body of work, you know, really highlighted emotional intelligence yeah. and what it is to have empathy and presence and Michael Block and his work. So we know, we now know that it is relevant, but how relevant will the work world let soul be? Mm-hmm. And so I think there's just a whole lot of fear wrapping up around what that will look like. Are we all going to be wearing, you know, dashikis or, you know, saffron-colored um, ships with tambourines in our hands? No, that's not what I'm talking about, <laughs> you know, unless you're into that, you know. Uh, I, I do think there's a, you know, well, we won't be functional if we bring in a sense of community, if we actually learn how to be with each other, if we learn the space of communion and we allow ourselves to be fully present, you know, that work won't get done, but we actually know the opposite is true. Mm. You, know, you talk a lot about... Um Bringing love into business and love and meaning into business. And I know that um, I have seen people say to you, oh, you can't talk about that because, you know, you will never be able to get people to listen to you and take you seriously in the business world. And I, of course, you know, I'm a kindred spirit with you, so I kind of laugh to myself and go, yeah, well, you just watch her <laughs> because I know that you can't make it happen. But talk a little bit about what, what that's like for you. Um, well, honestly, it's, sometimes it's frustrating. <laughs> but what I know for sure is that people are hungry at work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why we, we have the, the term people literally going postal because we're so hungry for connection and validation and acknowledgement um, and, and intimacy that we, what we end up reaching for is sexual intimacy. That's why people have affairs at the job because we're so hungry that, and we're so, we're so hungry for uh, love that we confuse it with lust. And so we reach for sexual intimacy when what we want is just to be deeply connected. I think the confusion for most workplaces is what does love look like in the business place? Yes. So, one of the things about speaking many languages like Spanish and French is that what you learn is that there are many, many words for the word love in other languages, but not mm-hmm. in English. 
Oh, interesting. Yeah, so you can say love a lot of different ways in Spanish. And so it, it means different things depending on the word you choose and who you're saying it to, mm. right? But we don't have that in English. So yeah. we only have one definition of love, and we think love means, you know, X, Y, Z. But really, love is what we, we already know. It's compassion. It's empathy. It's mm. connection. It's um, kind and gracious, not pretending to be kind. Not, most importantly, not, to, not pretending to be nice. But true generosity and kindness and compassion, small gestures, that Mm. is love. But they have to be conscious, they have to be authentic, and they have to be purposeful. That's Mm. all love is in the business world. You know, you know someone's going through chemo or someone's spouse is going through chemo. You know, perhaps the boss, you know, gives them some time off. Perhaps, you know, the employees learn how to speak to someone who's going through cancer or speaking to someone to someone um, whose child has just died. We don't know how to approach those conversations. Mm-hmm. And we don't have therapists, but we can learn how do I reach out to this person who is yeah. having a hard time or who has just been demoted or who has just gotten married or just gotten divorced. Besides collecting some money and giving them a gift, how else do I reach them? What does genuine connection look like? That's all love is in the business place. That's not too scary, is it, Cheryl? I don't think so. I'd love to hear you why you think business does <laughs> gravitate toward that. I mean, you some know, businesses do. I know. You know. I think that um, the the courage that it takes to be willing to say something out loud that may evoke an emotion whether it's joy or sadness or anger, um, to have the courage to say something out loud that could evoke emotion in the workplace, it it requires today, requires cultivation. That courage muscle is almost dead in people. Mm. And I really believe that we have so um, attempted to sanitize the workplace, and that, of course, spills over into sanitizing our society um, and, and in the name of, quote-unquote, political correctness, um, that we have misinterpreted what it means. You know, if, if quote, political correctness is, you know, no, you don't make jokes about someone and their sexuality. So does that mean I don't acknowledge that someone's sexual preference is different from mine? Does that mean I don't have to say anything at all? And what does that mean? And so in an attempt to not offend, we have retreated. You know, and so I had a situation. It was very interesting. I had a client who um, was a white male in his 50s. He was having a conversation with a uh, an employee in this organization. This was a very senior leader, and she was a um, an up-and-coming leader moving into senior leadership. Mm-hmm. And he was having a conversation with her. And 
in the course of that conversation, he said to her, well, I'm wondering what your experience is of this situation in the organization, given that you are a gay woman. And her jaw dropped because she did not think he knew that she was a gay woman, number one. Number two, even if he knew she was a gay woman, she thought that it wouldn't be okay for him to say that out loud. And so, you know, all that was, was discerned later. You know, we kind of got to the essence of that later. But just the fact that he was really curious about, you know, are you experiencing this situation differently because of, you know, who you are and how you live your life? And it was very clear that it was not acceptable. Now, what was also interesting was that he didn't understand why it wasn't acceptable on any level for him to be saying this. And he said, well, but she's gay, so what? So, I mean, this matters because this matters to our urban organizational culture, and, and I wanted to know. And, and so it was fascinating to me as I'm, you know, experiencing kind of both sides of this. Mm-hmm. And wondering, we have sanitized things so much that we can't even approach the topic, much less simply be in the moment with it. I- I'm, I'm fascinated. That, well, you know, she clearly doesn't feel safe enough to be able to be heard. Right. And this. Right. You know, this is what happens. It's like people are so busy protecting themselves that the best of who they are really isn't present in the job. It's not. Yeah. It's managed. And so yeah. what happens when you manage people, when, when people are managed, when they're managing their emotions, they're managing their identity, they're imagining, imagine, uh, uh, managing who they are, you actually retard their emotional maturity. You, yeah. you know, you can't have it both ways. You can't have an adult in the workplace and um, who is free to be who themselves and it not sometimes create chaos. Or you can have somebody who's completely managed, but then you have somebody, you know, you have a group of people who are 40, 50 years old, who are actually acting like they're 16 to 20. Yes. Um, yeah. And being triggered by something that got said. And it's right. unfortunate, but either you, ca- you have to have the adult and the full adult present, the full mm. adult present, and mm. with the messes that we as human beings make with that and, and, and be okay with the messes. But we've gotten so litigious conscious that you're right. We sanitize because yeah. we're afraid of being sued. Well, you know what? Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. you. You know, maybe we need to talk about being litigious in the world. But, you know, adults have to be fully adult and present in order yeah. to bring their particular genius into the yeah. world. And then we won't yeah. get offended and if, because we're afraid of what it means that you know that I am a gay woman. Yes. That's yes. a scary place. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I just, I am very, I'm so, on, on one level, I'm very heartened when I see all the changes happening in the world, when I see, uh, you know, more and more and more acceptance. On the other side of it, I keep thinking, how did we get to the place where people were so divided to begin with? How did we get to that place where it was all about, um, you know, the person with the power dictated what everybody else had to 
be like, look like, talk like, etc. You know, how did that happen? Because slavery. Well, we came to this I mean, earth as human beings, right? I mean, isn't that true? I, you know, it's uh, you know, it, well, it depends on where in the world you we originated from. Certainly in 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 the part of the world that you know was built. Uh, that money and aristocracy were the people that ruled. But really, it's slavery, and I don't mean just United States slavery, which in and of itself is a horrid, horrid thing. Because, you know, the institutional systems, the schools, all that, the churches, those weren't for the average white American. That was for the blue bloods. You know, when they wrote that doctrine, it wasn't for everybody could have land. It was the blue bloods who could have land. But, I mean, any time where you live in a society in which someone gets to have power over another, you you create this very fragile eggshell kind of system. Yes. Um, you know, so, and, and it is our journey here in this, you know, in all these little lifetimes of us and our children, our grandchildren, whatever, is to evolve out of that because we are very clear. We are very, very clear. We have enough evidence that it doesn't work. Mm. It does not work. You know, yeah. when nine eleven hit, you know, I, you know, we we were all coaches back then, Cheryl, and I don't know yep. about your practice, but my my phone was ringing off the hook, yeah. you know, because and all my friends who were traditional business coaches, you know, their business dried up during that time because it was during that crisis that people, like, oh my God, I want to have more meaning in life. They they suddenly got clear. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it wasn't about the $200,000 a year anymore. Now, I will say, within a matter of three years, that conversation faded, and everybody mm-hmm. went back to work, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's our work in the world, you know, the, the work that we do is to um, help people remember what's crucial to them, what's mm-hmm. really the priority, what's your source of information. Is it inter- interior or is it external? You know, who gets to dictate? Who writes your original story? Is it written as uh, uh, the letters after your name? Or do you write your original story? Were you birthed with original story? From Are you operating on that story or another story that's been fabricated for you? Because I, I am sure that at the end of our lives, at the end of our story, that we die in character. And are you going to die in a character that you feel created a legacy, if for nobody else, just for yourself, the legacy mm-hmm. that you'd like to have honored, or will you die in character and nobody will want to read those chapters because the character wasn't very interesting after all? Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful question. We're going to talk more about this with Melanie Dewberry-Jones when we come right back. markets up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito with my very special guest, Melanie Dewberry-Jones. So, Melanie, uh, you're definitely provoking a whole lot in me, and I know a whole lot in our listeners today. Um, you know, you talk about the importance of how we name our self, name our work. You talk about soul naming. You talk about the importance of language. So, words to you are powerful, and... What we know is that they're not only powerful, but that they can influence. They can direct someone's life. They can shift one's complete perspective of what they're doing or what situation they're in and thus influence their behavior. Talk a bit about language and the archetype of language and how you use that. So, you know, because I've spoken all these languages, I've learned a lot about the resonance of words. Um, And what I'm, so I'm in the work of helping people remember, remember who they are. That's the bottom line. Remember who they are, remember what they're up to. And what I know for sure is that there are words that when when used consistently um, in your everyday conversations, your everyday thought systems, put you on an evolutionary continuum. I'm not making this circle with my hand. I know that sounds very, um, you know, woo-woo or spiritual, but this evolutionary continuum where you evolve, you evolve. And you spoke earlier about how I'm constantly reinventing myself, and really, you know, it's, it's, uh, it is the evolution of, of myself that is evolving rather than me, you know, really thinking up. As you said, I'm not conjuring it up. It's just... There's this evolutionary pro- process, and that, that is the road to wisdom. So yeah. because I'm a lover of words, and because I know words can either heal and grow or completely diminish a human being, um, mm. I, I study words. And so I have gathered a collection of words um, that I ask people to use you know, throughout their daily conversation. Because what I believe is if you have a language that is highly resonant, to your um, highest self, to your soul, that, um, that and if you speak them, what you speak becomes what you think, and what you speak and think inform what you will end up becoming and doing. And we are very are casual. Pardon? What are, some of the, what are some of those words? Oh, Cheryl, they are. So if your audience, I hope you're at, hold on, everybody. Hold on. It's about to get bumpy. 
<laughs> you know, so I, I don't know if I remember if I've told you this before because I know we've talked before, but so I chose words actually. I, I didn't really choose them, they kind of popped out at me. I chose sure. words out of the religious context and took them out of the religious context. Words like sacred, reverence, communion, holy, and kept their biological essence of beauty, truth, and love and release them from their spiritual dogma. Words that are used in religion, but somehow just stay there. They stay there when you sing the hymns, I suppose, or when you're praying, I suppose, but they don't ever get used in everyday context. And uh, so I just asked my clients to once in a while, instead of thinking, you know, um, this is a beautiful day, what if it was a glorious day, or that was a glorious laughter? Instead of thinking, like, we had so much fun, what if that was a holy time you spent with them? Instead of thinking, I've got to go to a board meeting and oppose this referendum, what if you talk about being in communion with people? Mm-hmm. What, different, what, what might you say that's different? How might you behave if you considered you're going to be in communion with them? Mm-hmm. And I just, if you, do, if you don't want to use the words, if it feels too frightening or scary to use the words, um, to just think about the words, to just use them in your mind. And you simply must re- release them from their religious dogma, whether you are religious or not. They have to be of their own biological essence of beauty, truth, and love. And if you, you'll notice when you start to use words that are highly resonant, and this is scientifically based, by the way, that they actually inform you differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and how I came upon this very quickly was partly speaking languages. And, you know, when I spoke Japanese, I found my body bent over in the typical Japanese way that people do when they're speaking and when I would speak Spanish or Italian, I would gesticulate more. It, it was though the language itself began to tattoo itself inside me, began to speak for me, and my body just my body movements aggrieved. I became Latin, I became Mexican, I became Guatemalan, I became you know from Sicily or wherever I was communicating from. And um, I thought, wow, if language could do that for me, I wonder what language a language of beauty, a language of love, could do for mm. all of us. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a really powerful thought, you know, that the language, the sound of the language, the vibration of the language, the frequency of the language actually shapes the being. Yes, can inform. Uh, I'll yeah. tell you really quickly, you know, story on the same reservation that I was on. I was listening to an elder speak in her language of Diné, of which I don't speak, and I recited back in English verbatim what she said. And the gentleman said to me, that is verbatim what that woman said. How could you know that? And I, uh-huh. and I never could answer. I said, I don't know. But what I understand now is that her story spoke to me beyond the divide and the difference of our actual mother tongues. That uh-huh. is the power of language, uh-huh. of using a powerful language versus using a casual language. Yes. And so not being politically correct, but using language that conveys a connection and a caring and an empathy. That's what those words do. Mm. So there were, you mentioned the words sacred, communion, glorious, holy. Are there other words? Oh, yeah. There are lots of other words. Let's see. Um, a, this is a strange one to use, but agape, which is a really de- uh, deep sense of love, reverence. Um, I sometimes will ask people to use the word um, respect purposefully. We never talk about respect anymore. I deeply respect what you just said, um, that, kind of, that kind of tone. I mean, there, there are lots of words, and if someone's ever interested, they can contact me directly. I have a little booklet that I could be happy to send them to. Um, they're just 
there are just words that we already know. I'll, I'll, I'll tell people, instead of saying, you know, they'll say, I need to calm down. I said, well, instead of saying calm, why don't you go for peace? Since mm-hmm. we all know peace is what we want. Why don't mm-hmm. we just call it peace? Because mm-hmm. calm is so temporary and peace yeah. is sustainable. So just mm-hmm. changing the language subtly begins to inform subtly who we are. And and we are we are vibrational dominoes, and we have an effect. So quickly, because we we are coming to close the show. But what's going on right now in the world with um, all of the um, Islamic strife, and you know the the anger and the violence um, and the fear. Uh, what, I mean, I, I know this is a very simplistic question to an incredibly complex issue, but, you know, how can we get to the essence of this with words? So, I, you know, the truth is, I, I don't know how you manage crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. my head is down in the world, meaning I'm doing this. And yeah. I know that that's occurring. I do believe, Cheryl, that we're in a heightened state of change. We are transforming yeah. globally. Yeah. And that yeah. is upsetting. That can be very yeah. upsetting to people who want right. them as they were. And our job, my job, is not to convince them to, do, to change. Because yeah. the world is going to change whether you like it or not. We stopped having rotary phones. So you may not yeah. like it, but, but, we, but we don't have rotary phones really anymore. So um, we are changing, not just our objects, but we are changing as a human being. And that which does not change, that which holds on to structures that are dying, will die with the structure. Yeah. That I believe. That I know. So yeah. I don't worry about convincing people to let go of their structures. The structures will take them with them. It may be really painful, not it only is painful. to them, but but to others on the way out. But um, you know, it's it it's very much similar to to uh, the way I I see the structure of corporations and um, okay. how that is. Changing. It's been changing for a long time, and there are still people, because it's been such a slow shift, there are still people who believe that the corporate structure will live forever. And I I, I don't believe that. I believe that it is transforming in front of our eyes, and it's so, it's moving so slowly, we can't, it's almost imperceptible, right? Um, But that, but it it is happening. happening. Yeah, it's happening. Melanie, we have. Sorry. You know, we have so much more we could talk about. We're down to a minute left in our okay. show. So I know people are going to want to know more. They're going to want to get in touch with you, and they're going to want to know more about your work. How can they do that? I would love you to contact me. My email is very simple. It's courage at melaniedewberry.com, and that's do as in dewdrop, berry as a strawberry, melaniedewberry.com. Obviously, my website's the same. Um, come and reach out. Let's have a conversation. Mm. I love it, and I know I can tell you that um, having a conversation with Melanie Dewberry Jones is uh, an experience. So be ready. So, thank you, Melanie. Thank you so much. Thank you, really, for being here today because I have the utmost 
and heartfelt respect for the work you do. And I just love the essence of who you are. And every time I'm near you, I just want to give you big hugs, you know. It just, you're a special being on this planet. You're making transformation happen. And we're honored to have you here today. Oh, Matakiasen, thank you. Remember, everyone, to think big. The world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 